I do find that a lot of people are looking for the small activities, like even a tweak in the title, which actually it's a big deal and a tweak everywhere else. But what YouTube comes down to is click-through rate and average view duration. And it's going to come down to the architecture of the content itself. We teach the perfect video recipe, which is the big idea, the hook, the content, and the transition. And it starts with how good is the topic, a really good topic. Are people interested in it? It's big ideas, topic, title, thumbnail, hook. How great can that first opening 30 seconds be? Hooks can be as, they could be 10 seconds. They could be a couple minutes, but YouTube themselves give you a specific uh, window inside of your analytics that says how many people are still watching at 30 seconds. So before you get someone to minute three, you have to get them through the first 30 seconds. So if there's any part of your video you over-optimize in terms of thinking about what is said and what is seen, it's going to be the opening 30 seconds. Then the content, be brief, be bright, be fun and be done. How can you just make it as as opt, you know, as entertaining, as holding the viewer's attention. How long does my video to be? It doesn't really matter. It's how long, you know, if it's an interesting conversation and people are bought in, then they'll stick with it. But it should, if it ever gets uninteresting, you should trim it out. So how can you trim the fluff and the content? And then finally, this would be another mistake I think people make is the transition. I didn't say the call to action. The ending, the best call to action you can have on YouTube is to another video. And as a marketer or business owner, Many people want to send people to their website or their email list or something else, but YouTube values time on platform and they want people to stay on the platform. So the best call to action is to get someone to start watching your video and then continue to watch videos on your channel. Yes. So if you can (laughs) agitate another problem at the end of the video, if you could say, so here's the thing, we just learned about the best camera for YouTube, but if you don't have good audio, camera doesn't even matter. In fact, audio is probably more important than the camera. So click or tap the screen to check out our five best microphones in 2023 and then just end the video. This episode is brought to you by WeWork. The way you work has changed. The way you grow your business has changed. WeWork has flexible workspaces built for all the ways you work today. So you can drop in, connect with others and get to your to-dos. Get out of the house for a few hours and pop by WeWork's co-working space when you need it. Looking to reconnect the team a few times a week? Bring everyone together in an office that fits what they need. Take meetings or offsites around the world from London to LA. Unlock hundreds of locations easily with all kinds of great amenities. They're even dog friendly. Now you can try out your local WeWork for the day for 50% off. To redeem this offer, just go to we.co forward slash behind the brand. Download the WeWork app and use the code behind the brand. Check out by April 15th, 2023 to receive 50% off your booking. This episode is brought to you by my brand new, absolutely free VIP list. Want to get a short note from me each week with what I've learned from interviewing some of the smartest people in the world, the best inspiration, education, access to my private events, special perks, unique finds, free stuff, and a lot more to help you improve your life and business. Get on the list. Just go to behindthebrand.tv forward slash VIP. It's an email newsletter. It's as easy as that. One, two, three, VIP. Behindthebrand.tv forward slash VIP and get on the list. This episode is brought to you by Vimeo. I've been a pro user of Vimeo basically since I started my production company in 2010. Vimeo is for creative professionals like me and I use it in several different ways. For example, it's a place for me to upload my videos with a password for my clients to be able to review and download the work I'm doing for them. 
Uh, there's no compression, crushing of black colors, or oversaturation like what I get when I upload a YouTube video. My clients get the full 4K resolution HD as it was intended. I also use it to host and broadcast live events. I also use Vimeo for my portfolio, case studies, and it never has annoying pre-roll ads. I can create a customized player and keep people on my landing page so they don't get distracted and go down the rabbit hole watching someone else's stuff. What you may not know about Vimeo is that you can use it if you're in HR or if you own a company. You can put all of those onboarding videos all in one place, a nice, tidy, professional-looking uh, playlist or playboard where people can consume and understand or download all the new training videos all in one place. You could also do the same thing if you teach a course. Imagine putting all your videos behind a paywall, charging for it, and then you know, sending people the link with a password. Need a videographer, creative director, or editor? Vimeo lets you post jobs and find creative professionals. There's a ton more options, so I would suggest checking them out. Just go to vimeo.com and see what's possible. My name is Sean Cannell, founder of Think Media and author of YouTube Secrets, and you're on Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode, Sean. Thanks for having us to your, well, one of your world headquarter secret locations, buried deep within the hills of Las Vegas. That's right. I usually ask my guests, how did you get this job? Yeah, you know, uh, I teach people video, but I feel like video didn't, I didn't choose video, video chose me. And, um, you know, I'm a person of faith. It was in 2003 that I just started volunteering at a small church an hour north of Seattle. And I was a part of a small youth ministry, like six kids were there. But the youth pa pastor handed me a camera and Adobe Premiere software and said, hey, start making videos for Wednesday night youth group. And they were terrible, and uh, as they would be. And technology was archaic. At a Canon HV30, you might remember some of these mini DV tapes mm -hmm. and uh, Firewire cable capturing minute for minute into Adobe Premiere on a PC that would be laughable in terms of the speeds we have today. There was no Mac M1 chips. There wasn't, we weren't even really using SD cards. I was just capturing off the tape. So mm -hmm. I, so I found video, I've been in video now 20 years in video production and predominantly on YouTube. Um, we teach cameras and lighting and how to tools for content creators. And that has evolved into also teaching YouTube strategy and things like that. And so, um, in a way video was just sort of placed in my hands and I just didn't let go and just continued to voraciously learn, practice, put in 10,000 hours and then 20,000 hours and then 30,000 hours, and then just trying to pass along, um, the shortcuts and mistakes I've made so that other people could figure out how to use YouTube to build their brands. Yeah. Um, always asked, you know, like, how do you know what you want to do? How do you know what your path is? Call it your destiny or, you know, uh, fish to water, bird to the air, that kind of thing, your, your element. Um, what, what was young Sean thinking about? And I asked this with the context of a lot of people who watch and listen. Um, and it's this kind of age agnostic I found. Like, yeah, there's some people coming right out of school wanting to know the answer to that question, have it all figured out. But there's also people who are halfway done and they're rethinking their passion because they're not happy where they're currently at. And they want to either reinvent themselves or start the side hustle. Uh, they see this content creation thing as a viable option. So what was young Sean thinking about? Like, go back in the chronology even younger than youth ministry. Like, did you have signals about what you want to do or what you were good at? 
Yeah, I, there was some signals. I, I got on the radio show. I went to King's High School in Shoreline, Washington, and they had cross rock radio. And so we had Adobe Audition. And so we were cutting in uh, sports broadcasts and we would cut in different uh, you know audio layovers and create commercials. So mm-hmm. I was mixing audio. How old were you? Um, that would have been sophomore year. I also really resonated with photography, and mm-hmm. I did black and white photography. We were in the dark room, um, and so I you also were creative. So I was definitely creative, and yeah. grew up. Also, got into uh, skateboarding and snowboarding. Ski bus every year, snowboarder for ten years. Okay, but all these skateboarding and snowboarding videos was a bunch of progressive hip hop and EDM and rock music, Seattle. So you had Nirvana grunge. Yeah. Um, and so I was also DJing vinyl records for a while, like Newmark decks and diamond tip needles. <laughs> and, and I was kind of, I was into underground hip hop and all this kind of stuff. So, um, the mixed media, this was a, this is all preceding the ability to blend film and photos and, uh, music on reels and TikTok. It yeah. was just early days, but I, I media itself, I just love creativity, the music scene, and kind of also a little bit of that, that rebelliousness of, of skateboard and, and snowboard culture, which is that leans more entrepreneurial, yeah. make it yourself, DIY it. As soon as you said surf, skate, snow, I got an instant picture because, and, and music because 90s especially i mean that's that was my life too as a little grom growing up in southern california camcorder yep you know riding a skateboard fisheye lens on there filming my friends do tricks or even bmx or you know whatever the latest stunt was that paints a perfect picture and yeah it it was like the groundswell was like the the genesis really of this content creation movement, I feel, has really started in surf, skate, snow in a big way. Um, That's awesome. Okay. Um, And so you were able to then parlay that into maybe refining that or honing that into um, something that was able to be used more utility at your youth group and then turn it into content. Talk about the, like, did your parents give you direction or did they say, hey, Sean, maybe you ought to think about getting a law degree or uh, become an accounting, something more stable because the creative arts, yeah, you know, they're fun and they're amazing, but not always profitable. Did you get pushback at all? Um, I might have, but but the answer would probably be no because I can't recall. I, I honestly think that they were incredibly encouraging and maybe leaning towards the. Now that I look back, I'm like, I, I didn't really feel much pressure from them at all. Yeah. What, you know, what did they do? What did your parents do? So my uh, stepdad, my parents got divorced at three. My dad was an artist um, and is now living in Bellingham, Washington, woodworker. He was the one who leaned me way more into the creative, really into just music and kind of coffee and culture and going around the city and going to Saturday market and um, were Scottish Irish roots, so just a lot of art weaving, and he he weaves wood. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had that side, but he did was always kind of struggling with the starving artist thing. Then on the flip side, my stepdad Phil was uh, and in telecommunications has his own company, has had his own company, um, and has been a very successful entrepreneur. And we didn't though really talk much about business or entrepreneurship. 
Um, and there wasn't a lot of pushing and they were just very supportive and encouraging, but there wasn't, there wasn't any pressure. They wanted me to get good grades, but there, I, I didn't really experience wrath if I didn't. And, yeah. and there wasn't really pressure to go to college. And, you know, I ended up getting expelled from Christian high school and then <laughs> finishing out high school at, at the local community college. So pause, why, what, what got you expelled? Oh, well, I mean, the, the, the truth is uh, a lot of extreme living by anybody's standards, despite a faith bag, uh, but um, between my junior year and my senior year, um, I was partying so hard, the word got around that I was partying very hard. Mm -hmm. um, I, I broke into the school, which just climbed to like a third year window and let people down into the locker room to just, I, it was really dumb, as, as a lot of things are, what for, but we were just drank some alcohol in there and then left, had like a boom box. Uh, but the thing that was really uh, the main instigating event was I was in a pornographic video with three girls. Okay. And so that'll do it. You know, that's that, clearly against school rules. That's against school policy. Um, and so there was an, one of the things that they said, they said there's Sean's reputation and different events, whether we could verify them or not. There's enough. If there's smoke, there's probably fire. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't align with the school's that values. That doesn't align with the school's values. Yeah. So between my junior and senior year, they said you're not coming back. So I ended up going to uh I did have good enough grades and enough credits or whatever to go to running start at a community college to finish out high school. And from there I ended up going to Bible college. I I got actually very deep before things got better, they got a lot worse and I just got into rave culture and hard drugs and um What were you what were you escaping from? I had I had a lack of vision. I think most of all, you know, it says in Proverbs that where there is no vision, the people perish, or they caught, they cast off discipline. It's a famous Bible verse that's pulled into a lot of yeah. life, family, business. Like once vision is gone, you're going to lose the team. If what are you, was your team pushing for? Do you have a clear vision? Yeah. Do you have a strong vision? And I know for me, I just hadn't found my thing. Most of all, I knew what I didn't want was just the American dream. You didn't want that. I did not just want. I was like, I'm just not pumped about just a picket fence and like just living this kind of Truman Show life and yeah, punch a time clock. Yeah, and 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 so I hadn't actually found something to get me excited yet. And what eventually lit that fire wasn't ultimately creativity or business. It was actually it was actually my faith itself and actually getting a getting a connection that you know, I believe we were made in the image of our creator, created to create. So I got, you know, tapping all the way into the source and really discovering the Bible for myself. That lit the fire that fuels everything else. Mm -hmm. My business, my creativity, it's all driven by my relationship with the creator. And so, but yeah, preceding that, I was I was just running because I really didn't see much, uh, I, I had not found purpose. So yeah. rudderless boat, rudderless you know? with lack of purpose. Why not? Wind blows yeah. you this way. I mean, it's like eat, drink first. Tomorrow we die. Mm -hmm. So no purpose. It was like, well, we might as well just party hard and chase girls and whatever. And kind of like the prodigal son. Once I had pursued that, uh, I'm, I feel grateful that I hit a dead end. I you know in uh, during that in between time. Uh, after I got expelled, um, I experienced this one night where we just did copious amounts of drugs multiple days in a row. Uh, my friend got lost. We got stuck in the city. We ended up at some random house, and there was 
drugs and ammo and cocaine all around and it's it's seven in the morning and people are just getting started partying and I'm coming down off drugs. And then I kind of had like a, a moment of clarity, like this is probably not where this is not the best situation to be in. I may have made yeah. a few poor decisions to lead me to this moment. And then that started to begin a turn the other direction, which led me to Bible college first, just for a one year certificate in Bible. And then I and then I began to catch a per I think all these ingredients, creativity a pull towards entrepreneurship uh, or, you know, building something and, and getting out of obviously toxic living, I, I started to get onto a different path. Yeah. I mean, call it fate or luck or a combination. I mean, you're lucky you didn't lose your life. No doubt. It's crazy. Um, a lot of people don't come out of that tailspin. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a, remarkable, actually, that you were able to pull out of that. And you describe it very succinctly, but I'm sure it was, you know, hell and back several times. Yes. Crazy. What advice would you give to people who might feel that they're currently in some trajectory of that tailspin? Maybe they're not heading in the right direction. How did you, I mean, you, you just seemed, you, you got a moment of clarity. Yeah. But like, I just hear the chatter, like easier said than done, right? Like, Yeah, I think that when the moment of clarity comes you have to make a, a decision to make different decisions so in that mo when i when i am in sitting in this house which i remember we happen to be around a lot of gang i don't even know how we got here because we lost our friend and we lost the 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 ride to he's lost in seattle so we ended up in a stranger's car being driven to their destination which was of after party not just all night but for about 48 hours straight off of taking multiple ecstasy pills and mushrooms and all kinds of stuff. So I'm very crashed at this moment. And I'm looking at the people around me and there's like guns on the table and bullets and gangbangers around and, and music is bumping and cocaine is there. But I'm also, I don't feel a pull into that. I'm not like, let's triple down. I'm like, wow. Like, and so the moment of clarity is, okay, wow, well, I'm in a bad situation. Like this, I made some poor decisions. And I, I, my girlfriend at the time, we decided to just, I said, we got to leave. So we just left, no Uber. I mm -hmm. guess, you know, we probably had cell phone. We could have called a cab, but we, we also didn't have a ton of money, whatever. We just started walking. Talking off on foot. Yeah. yeah, we're just on foot. And I just remember breaking down, I'm crying. And I'm kind of being overly harsh on her because I'm like, what am I? I really am mad at myself. I'm like, what am I doing? What are you doing? You're a bad influence. They're a bad. What's going on? You yeah. know, and but you we're just up. we're yeah. It was and and I think that again, it it could have been where after a few days passed, it's kind of like if you ever drank too much, you're like I'm never going to drink again. But then a few days pass and you do. So it's like uh, I think that I, the opportunity of that moment of clarity is I think for all of us listening to this, past, present, or future, like every moment we have a, a chance to make a different decision. And for me, one the the big unlock was was that my willpower that I, I should not lean on my willpower, and that's actually why I made a decision to go to Bible college. My parents said once they saw how depressed I got, I mm -hmm. went into a really dark place. They said, "Hey, what would you think about going to uh, Canada to Prairie Bible Institute for a certificate in Bible?" And my mom had gone there, but this was like a tiny school an hour north of, or an hour away from Calgary in the middle of nowhere. There's 3000 people in the entire town, 2000 yeah. people in the school, Yeah, super like Mennonite community. Sounds kind of perfect for your yeah, situation. Exactly. And yeah. I would have, <laughs> I would have never gone there. But what I saw that is not as a, a boring, 
you know, burden. I saw it as an opportunity. I was like, I need to get out of these circumstances. I need to put myself, I just need to make decisions to put myself in the right place. So if someone was listening, it's like, make a decision to check into rehab, make a decision to switch up your friend group, make a decision to stop going to the places where you're going to get into trouble. You know, for example, halfway through Bible college, I came home for Christmas break and I still love all my friends. I want to hang out with them. But I, this was another moment of how weak my willpower was. And I remember I went to this party and we're sitting in a circle. And so the blunt starts getting passed around. And so, you know, I remember th- time one, it comes by me and I'm like, I'm good. You know what? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a changed man. I'm, I'm trying to walk a different path. It's all good for you guys. It's something. First time, let it pass. Second time comes by. I'm good. Let it pass. Third time. Okay, I'll give you that, you know. Yeah. Now, it's, and so had I, it, it, what circle are you sitting in? Right. So if it, it, I realized I have to be more selective it, rather than someone thinking, I'm just going to be strong. I think that what we want to do is set up our environment in such a way yeah. where if our willpower is weak, our environment, which are decisions you can make when you have more clarity. It, you don't want to be making decisions uh, late into the night when you're hungry, lonely, angry, tired. And then someone, yeah, yeah, vulnerable, someone texts you and you're like, okay, I will. Like if you can make decisions when you're thinking clearly and in your strongest moments, uh, and and it's a little bit of wisdom, that was the big difference for me. So then that was good that that happened because then the next six months at school, I was like, okay. And that's what got me into the internship. I cold turkey decided to intern in this youth ministry, not because I really had a big vision that I wanted to make an impact there. I wanted to stay out of trouble. So I was like, yeah. I was going to do summer school, work at Red Robin, wait tables, and intern. It wasn't, I want to do video or express my creativity or whatever. Yeah. It was just like, this would be a healthy, productive environment. So I also can, even the friends that I loved, I, wa- I realized they weren't necessarily the best influence, but I was like, listen, guys, I'm busy. If you want to come meet, meet up at church, cool. But yeah. like, I just, I'm either working or doing summer school or I'm interning at this church. So I just don't have a lot. I wanted to fill my schedule with something productive versus getting pulled into, you know, a path in a circle that wasn't leading anywhere great. Yeah. I love that. Let me just um, underscore and restate, because I think you said it very well, but I want to extract that lesson deliberately, which is... I'm hearing you say that proximity mm. to success is such a big deal. And, you know, I'm thinking of that quote that Jim Rohn gets credited with, you know, like you are the sum total of the people that you hang around, whether that's five people or 50 people. Um, and so more often, than, more often than not, that is true, right? The proximity of the company that you keep ends up being, you know, who you become or become like. And you put yourself in a position to win instead of be tempted to go back to your old ways. <laughs> and the Mennonite community thing, it reminds me like my favorite show is The Office. And I think of Dwight Schrute and the, you know, Mennonite community is very much the right. Schrute Farms, the Beat Farm, you know, out, you know, the, the old ways. Um, and again, you, you can't get in too much trouble, again, putting yourself in the proximity of a town that's only 3,000 people or, you know, each time you chose proximity to insulate yourself, to protect yourself at first. Yeah. And then, and then that enabled you to find the opportunities or really get more clarity as, okay, which direction I want to go. So proximity was your first step. And then the second step was, okay, now that I have clarity, now I can, I can sort of start the engine and start going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I've, there's a, a great book by Ken Coleman called The Proximity Principle. 
And it's that idea. I've continued to compound that. So I have, I've heard, I heard someone say, yeah, if you hang out with five alcoholics, you'll probably be the sixth. If you hang out with five people that are obese, you'll probably be the sixth. If you hang out with five people that are broke, you're probably going to be the sixth. Yeah. And so if I ever want to be challenged in my fitness and my health, um, in my business, that we, I've continued to compound that proximity principle. Yeah. And in the early days of learning creative, it was also, I wanted to get in rooms or events around uh, trying to get on the phone or can I buy a ticket or can I go help or can I go volunteer with somebody who was doing something I wasn't doing uh, or had a skill set I wanted to learn. I wanted to get around them. I grew as a communicator um, from speaking on stage and different things that I now do today from not just studying great communicators, but even basically apprenticing under them as well yeah. as part of my career. So the proximity principle is incredibly powerful. It resonates with me because that is the essence of this series. I mean, the whole reason I started to begin with is because I recognize that I am not where I, I wanted to be or, or I was not becoming who I wanted to become. And so in order to become like someone, you have to model their behavior. You have to know what they do. You have to do what they do. And then you can, you know, whether that's like, um, you know, uh, the uh, farmer's market and you're picking and choosing the certain things that you like, or you're, you're buying all of it, you know, behind the brand, right? Sitting down with the experts who've been there and done that. It's all about learning and modeling other people's behavior so that you can implement it into your own business, your own life and, and become who you want to become. So totally resonates with me. I like that. It even gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Um, okay. So from the youth ministry, uh, you started to kind of get your chops, you honed your skills and what happened next? Yeah. So I've been doing video for 20 years since 2003. I've been doing YouTube for 16 because in 2007, if I did my math right, we started a YouTube channel for the church. And so that's super early. Two years after YouTube started, 15-minute um, time limits on upload. So if we uploaded a pastor's sermon for 45 minutes, it had to be three parts. Yeah. No custom thumbnails. I mean, really, it's a year old because, you know, 05, um, it's the two dudes that launch it. Yeah. And then Google doesn't buy it till 06. Yeah. Right. So if you're 07, that's extremely early. Extremely I mean, early. There's just a handful of videos on the platform at that point. Yeah. And some of them are these camcorder following dogs on skateboards and other things. All right? kinds of, yeah, like yeah. that weird Random uh, stuff. elephants at the zoo is like that first video. Yeah. yeah. And so, so super early in YouTube. And then what was really cool about this particular church that I was a part of was they had a whole kind of track of teaching, which was um, like, like they had this conference called Powered, powered to prosper or something. And it was the business, like a lot of people think about the Bible, of course, and its application to family and life and just faith and how we treat each other, which is all the above. But you, you, it's much of a smaller niche to think about what does the Bible have to say about business owners and creativity and entrepreneurship. That was actually a lot of things I was learning in those days. And even the senior pastor's wife encouraged me to start a side hustle. She said, you know, you've learned this skill of video and you've shown promise in it, but I was all self-taught and just voraciously learning. And there wasn't all the resources. There was no behind the brand. Yeah. There was not, uh, there was like early companies, Philip Bloom, I'm sure you're familiar. I bought oh, yeah. his DVD for $300 on the Canon 7D to learn all his settings. And Still Motion was this cool wedding videographer kind of community that made these incredible wedding videos all their tools and tutorials and some of their training. Um, I found that on Vimeo in those days. So I'm like learning. And so in 2009, I started Clear Vision Media 
basically as a as a solo business owner that had a diversity of offerings. Mm-hmm. I'd make people's websites, help them with socials early, but mainly do video production, wedding videos, hip hop music videos, YMCA, local ads for local baseball games in Marysville, Washington, local restaurant videos. And uh, so that was kind of the next piece. And then fast forward just into 2000, I think 11, I think media started 2010. As far as the first upload, August of 2010, I started talking about the camera gear and different tools I was using because there was demand for that. And we started this other project called Think International with my friend Jeff, which was like a faith-based interview show uh, right around 2010. So immediately out of the gate, it was like church in 2007, that channel, Clear Vision Media was 2009. Think Media and Think International was like 10 and 11. And that put me super early into YouTube. Um, and review style videos. You review, know. And so I started to learn about affiliate marketing, started to make money online, talking yeah. about cameras or lenses through affiliate marketing, and started to really obsess over YouTube as the second largest search engine and the search-based opportunity there, um, and started to have success ranking videos. Yeah. And that was that's, I would also rank, like I ranked for Bell, Be, uh, Bellingham Wedding video, Videographer, so I was getting all these inbound leads as a small business owner in that regard, I ranked the Mexican restaurant video as you would zero other restaurants <laughs> at all were thinking, especially. Yeah. And, and so started to kind of cut my teeth on even to this day, what we've honed and perfected and expanded on in regards to search-based content, setting up passive income connected. If your videos are getting views for weeks, months, and years to come, and there's a way to monetize like affiliate marketing. And so eventually Today, I wrote the book, YouTube Secrets, and we have online courses that teach this stuff. I was in the trenches for a ton of years, and I also was freelancing during that time. Clear Vision kind of stayed on where I would build out the YouTube channels, specifically kind of for some pastors and authors, taking like their messages and cutting them down into seven minutes, titling them really well, yeah. connecting it back to whether a new book they were launching and or an email list they were building because they had an event or they had... so. Um, to the point of proximity principle, one of the things that I also loved about all the above is I did feel that someday I wanted to do this stuff. I wanted to write books, have events, teach and be an educator, but I love the opportunity to be paid, even if I wasn't paid very much, cause I was more into it for the education. If I could do this for others or use their budget on ad spend. And I, you know, so I had a lot of immersive experience and basically digital marketing and yeah. video marketing. You know, what strikes me though, another lesson I want to just extract here is you're an expert and yet you talk like a learner. Mm. You know your stuff inside and out. You've been doing it since back in the day. And yet you have this mindset that strikes me as someone who's still in pursuit of learning, which I think is super important. I think it's worth putting an exclamation mark next to. The other, The opposite side of that is this imposter syndrome, feeling like we're never quite good enough, even though we are. Um, I think that's what imposter syndrome implies. Like we don't, we do know what we're talking about. We don't feel like we do. Mm. Um, I don't get that from you, but I think there's two sides uh, of that coin. And sometimes uh, they can be familiar. Sometimes we think uh, we don't have enough knowledge when we actually do, but you're actually doing it, but you're, you kind of said it, you're, you're learning from, the budgets of other people and you're not misrepresenting you're still doing it but like you're you're leveling up each time you're taking that opportunity to continue to get better 
And I think that's super important, uh, especially if we're talking about YouTube strategies. Yeah. It's intimidating, right? Here we are, 2023, heading into 2024. Um, I've heard you talk a ton about it, but let's let's rehash a little bit about it or unpack a little bit of these YouTube strategies. If I'm starting from scratch, it kind of feels like I've missed the boat, you know? Mm-hmm. So is is now the best time or is it the worst time, Sean, to to start something new? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think if we have to face the facts, um, there is more competition than ever before. But every day that's true in every industry. Like, it's not going backwards. It's always more people are are coming on. Um, But I think the good news is there's also more consumption than ever before. 2.6 billion monthly active users on YouTube. 1.5 billion monthly active users just consuming YouTube Shorts. That's a new opportunity. YouTube Shorts is getting 50 million daily video views. A lot of the people that we get to coach and connect with are experiencing a lot of breakout growth from YouTube Shorts, embracing the new thing. Um, I don't think that's where this conversation should start, but YouTube just rolled out a whole bunch of podcast features, There's a, and they're going to be distributing podcasts on YouTube yeah. Music. So what's wild is in 2023, it is possible to still be kind of a first mover or early adopter. Uh, even Shorts is two years old, but the competition doesn't move as fast as people think. So I think YouTube shorts podcast, I think the other thing to consider is maybe just taking your and I's conversation a little bit on faith, knowing that we have stories. We have endless stories at think media of brand new channels that are starting in the last few months, stories that are coming in since January, 2023 of people that have quickly gotten their first 150, 375, 3,000 subscribers, Larry went into the personal finance niche. Here would be the argument. Is there? Is it crowded in the personal finance? Are you kidding? Like, it seems like every people go, oh, already Graham Stephan, you know, or clear value tax or- Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. It's already full. <laughs> yeah. Yet he stepped into, with a brand new channel, he got 1,000 subscribers in a week. He got 53,000 in six months, and he only posted 14 videos. So- there is still opportunity to break through. I think some of the best practices would include um, figuring out your dif- difference, looking for the classic book on positioning. How can you be positioned? You're not going against num- the number one or number two. You're finding that niche vertical that you can have a concentrated effort on one area, niching down, as they say in online market, the riches are in the niches. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about how can you niche down. Let's um, unpack that a little bit more. So. How, what does that exercise look like? What does that process look like? I mean, Seth Godin, you know, um, always takes me to school and he reminds me, Brian, it's only about two things. You should ask yourself two questions. The first question is, what's it for? Yeah. And this is not Simon Sinek's, you know, why movement. It's not that. It's like, what's the goal? What's the point? Yeah. Why even do this? What are you trying to achieve? You know, do you want to be famous? Uh, do you want to earn money? Are you selling something? Do you have an awareness problem? Do you, you know, you make more people aware of your existence? Like, what's it for? And then once you figure that out, the second question is, who's it for? Yeah. And when you figure out who's it for, and like everyone is a wrong answer, right? It's got to be for a particular group. That's what you're talking about, niching down. Once you figure that out, then it's just about how to serve those people best, and then rinse and repeat. But so let's go back to the process of figuring out who it's for. Yeah. How do what's the, what's that look like? Are we doing Google searches? Are YouTube searches? Are we 
yeah. looking at landscapes? So that you should absolutely start with market research, but let's talk about some slices on on niching down because I think people still f- might feel n- limited on this. Um, if you're gonna, if you if you were starting a new brick and mortar restaurant chain it's going to be hard from scratch to go against somebody that's national. So what is one of the ways you could niche down? Well, you could just dominate a geographic area. Right. So ways of going smaller, there's there's multiple different ways. And if you stack these, so ge- geography is one. Many of our loan officer real estate um, agent clients are crushing their niche markets by doing market updates, um, tips for buying homes. And they're not trying to just get broad appeal viral videos that the market's crashing. They're just dominating Snohomish, Washington. So that's a geography, even leveraging YouTube and then also other platforms as well. People following them on Facebook, Instagram, and they're getting more leads and customers as a result. So geography is one. Age is a big one that people don't think about very much. Mm-hmm. Take the thing that you're competing for, but do it for baby boomers or take the thing you're competing for, but do it for Gen X. Yeah. And then gender would be another layer. As soon as you talk about you know, the number one video podcast on YouTube for Gen Z female entrepreneurs, you're already just as far as we're in the conversation, like you're going to do pretty well. And that people are afraid to, it's hard to get this amount of clarity, but gender would be another one. The other thing would be show format. Like in some cases, there's a lot of longer form podcast conversations. If you become the five minute show and you really stick to that, then that's another way of packaging things in a different way. Some people yeah. want a consumer. And- yeah. And sorry to interrupt. Um, I, I was going to ask, what prevents people from niching down? It seems like there's this knee-jerk fear. It's like all of a sudden I'm it's cause it's counterintuitive, right? It is. I'm I'm instantly limiting, isolating, or even, you know, uh polarizing, right? I'm 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 ignoring a total piece of the uh, piece of the pie, an audience. Yes. So why is that a good idea? Yeah, I think what prevents people is fear, fear that the market won't be big enough, fear also so much constraints on themselves that they'll be disciplined enough. Yeah. Because I think the reason it's a good idea is it could be the difference between winning and losing. So I guess you could take a risk with the potential of losing. Not that there's a guarantee of winning, but if you, Sun Tzu, the famous military general and author of The Art of War, says every battle is won before it's even fought. So if we're approaching a YouTube channel, we can't guarantee success, but what if I could guarantee you success? What if I could guarantee you could win the battle before you even fight the battle? The reason Sun Tzu said that is he's like, okay, if I sit down, I'm going to look at the entire landscape. Okay. I'm going to look at it's winter. So that's going to affect things. There's going to be ice where the horses be as happy. I'm going to look at the actual landscape. How, how many forces do they have versus how many forces do we have? I'm going to look at what are our resources, what weapons do we have? And so a lot of times people don't sit down to actually assess all the different angles. So Mm -hmm. if you assess your strengths, your competitor's strengths, you assess, and then you also just says facts about you. Like chances are, unless you're a very interesting baby boomer, your niche should be to other baby boomers probably, you know, or your Gen X and maybe you're able to, I, I spoke at an event recently for all uh, financial service providers, but there are people who are retirement. Okay. And so they only needed a couple of clients to the baby boomers with one to $4 million to manage. Um, and with their 1.5% fee that they earned or whatever, 
like they did not meet, need that many clients. So I'm talking on YouTube. That's I think the other big key of Seth's question of who you're trying to reach and what problem you're trying to solve. If you're trying to get famous, that's a whole different deal than you're just trying to build a niche YouTube channel yeah. that attracts enough clients to your business model. Or if you just want to be a micro influencer, there's plenty of people with five, 10, 30,000 kind of subscriber ranges that can make incredible depending on the business model. And that goes and all of the above. So obviously this is bigger than this conversation to get in the nuances. But I think for many, it's fear. It's also the uninformed conclusion people have come to that the only way to succeed on YouTube is a million subscribers and 10 million views. Yeah. So that kind of puts, and so if you, well, you if I niche down too much, I can't get that. And you're like, well, there's a whole world that exists over here in terms of ways to monetize business models that exist. And so I think- that's where things get exciting. And what also gets exciting is if you study marketing warfare and you study positioning itself, you're not going to be, you and I can't start a soft drink and take out Coke. Like that's just that the, we could be as ambitious as possible and ambitious, you know, we could try again, the amount of money, what, and we still would probably lose. That's what the book positioning would teach. And it makes sense. The goal is not to try to take out Coke or Pepsi It's to be different and what they teach in really good book, Marketing Warfare, which is kind of a follow-up to positioning, that you figure out who the number one is. So even if there's copycats of Mr. Beast or whatnot, but the goal is not to just copy Mr. Beast or copy Casey Neistat. You figure out who number one is. If you're in number one position, you just are a defender. You figure out who number two is. If you're number two, that's the only person who should do offense because they're big enough to take away a little bit of the market share of number one. Number three, you're going to do flanking warfare. So you say, I'm just going to do the Volkswagen Beetle. I'm not going to try to compete. Volkswagen shouldn't try to do tr trucks like Chevy or Ford. I'm going to flank and maybe find one. They're going bigger. I'm going to go smaller. I'm going to go Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. But what's wild is... That's only like the top three companies. That's what they should either do, offense, defense, or flanking. For 97% of the rest of companies, which is 97% of all of us, like I would argue we're we're all probably like we're all in the 97% unless we're Disney, you know, Coca-Cola, Logan Sh Paul, Chevy, yeah. Logan Paul. You do guerrilla warfare, which is finding a slice of the market that doesn't that no the the big guys wouldn't even care about. Yeah. And so um, that's where it gets really exciting in the niche down, which again, it's doing something a little bit different. It could be in the format you're going to be. And I just heard somebody I really respect. I forget. I saw this quote from them. They said that the, the influencers are who are going to rise the most in the coming years are going to be curators. And I think that's, what's fascinating with how much noise there is. There's a whole model on YouTube of faceless channels and automated channels yeah. and channels that. Yeah remix kind of other people's content via fair use. So it just, this is sort of like a platter of things to choose from. If you're going to stack the deck in your favor, you're going to assess it. What's, this is a, a powerful point. That's only I'm emphasizing lately is I think I've probably said too much, ignore the competition, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. All true. Ignore the competition. Don't compare yourself. Just be you, you know, and be yourself and follow your passion. And like, you can win. Whereas the truth is, though, you actually should study the competition. Yeah, you you should do competitor analysis because again, every battle's won before it's even fought. 
Why would you take all of your forces and just run them into a trap where they're just all going to be slaughtered? Yeah. Instead, you just go over to Blue Ocean. You go over to maybe some area that's a little bit more uncontested. And one other aspect of figuring out you know, geography, gender, age, whatever, d- different demographics, psychographics, niche down your thing, pick something, is, is also just the TAM, the total addressable market itself. I think where things get – that goes back to consumption's higher than ever before. You know – Tech, for example, Think Media has 2.2 million subscribers. But I looked a while back at the Canon M50, a little bit outdated now, even the Mark II. But what a camera. For content creators, that was like the camera. Now it's the Sony ZV-E10. Price point features. There's certain cameras that yeah. just have mystique and magic around them. I have that camera. It's For, a great little camera. It's a great little camera. Yeah. And and for content creators, it was the M50. The ZV-1 is another one. What, what was interesting about the M50, though, is if you went and studied how many tech YouTubers or people talking about cameras pulled 8,000, 16,000, 58,000, 150,000 views talking about the M50. We were talking about thousands of videos, like the total addressable market of interest in that camera, people talking about that camera and how many angles you could have around the camera, best lenses, cinematography hacks, filmmaking hacks. Is it still relevant in 2017? Mm -hmm. Is it still relevant in 2018? Like, Every year, is it still relevant in 2023? It would mm-hmm. be actually probably a pretty hot video because there's still interest around it. And so, of course, at some point, there's levels of saturation. But when the TAM, the total addressable market, is big enough, not everyone's going to be MKBHD, of course. But the long tail of opportunity, it depends on what are people's ambitions. We are bullish at Think Media that the opportunity for people to create $35,000 a year from a YouTube channel in a competitive niche, 58,000, or go on to build a six or seven figure, you know, channel, like the long tail all the way down to making an extra $15,000 a year and having fun and writing off your hobbies now because you're creating content around them and and keeping your job or going more part-time at your job. I still think the opportunity is unlimited. It's about getting kind of a clear perspective, I think, on the battlefield, on maybe how big the opportunity is, on how the YouTube algorithm works. And that's why we are so excited about the opportunity on YouTube. It's real. But it's we try to never sell. It's not get rich quick, <laughs> yeah. nor is it even – you might not even get rich. Like, let's redefine that term. But yeah. but if you are really interested and potentially instead of making, as Gary Vee always talks about, right, maybe you leave your 80K a year job and you make – 58, but you don't have to, a commute. Yeah. You you live at home. That This is super real in 2023, beyond real. It's it's still, I almost feel like it's still actually wide open yeah. if you can have the right approach. Yeah. Cosign a thousand percent. Let me just add a couple things again that I heard you say, because I, well, I'm getting in your head a little bit because I consume your content constantly. So I, you know, I've watched the thousand other videos to be able to extract what I'm about to say, which is we've also um, not really talked about or defined MVA or MVP, right? Which is that minimum viable product or minimum viable audience in this case. Yes. And um, this is an important, I think, acronym and calculation too. You alluded to it early, but sort of subtle. Um, You, if you have a, uh, you know, a law office, your accountancy, or your financial planner, or whatever, and it's and it's B two B or even D two C. You may not need that many clients. In fact, your capacity might be ten. Like, yes, that's all you can take. And so you're right. You don't need a million subscribers on YouTube to crack that nut. 
You just need the right amount. So what is that minimum viable audience? Like what, how many people need to see it then for it to yield a certain amount of leads or interest that funnels into your, your pool. And then you can, you know, do your business, whether that's your $58,000 a year goal or $558,000, you know, agency goal. It's super important. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, the other thing that I heard was this sort of secret formula to monetization, which, you know, everyone probably understands AdSense at this point. If you don't go back and watch a hundred of Sean's earlier videos on the Think Media channel about how to do this, but you talk about uh, a camera like that little Sony. Now, I'm guessing part of the strategy behind that is one, it's a pretty inexpensive camera. If, if I remember correctly, it's under a thousand bucks. Yeah, it might, the body might be 800 or 750. So that, there's a strategy behind that too, which is probably, I'm guessing, that instead of having to go out and buy like a Canon um, R5, which is like a three to $5,000 camera, yeah. which may, you know, if you have an affiliate link in there, is a little tougher to click or less people will, you know, the TAM, the TAM on that is lower. Totally. Versus the little under thousand dollars Sony, so if and again it depends what your business play is. If it's like I want to have some of that go to affiliate, but I also want the the ride the wave of the popularity of the other things to get the views and the interest and maybe get more people to subscribe. You're sort of you've got several streams of revenue happening at the same time. That's also a very smart play. So if, if I was back into that or strategically reverse engineer yeah. what your what your strategy is, it's like. You've got to pick an affiliate product that you know uh, is going to ring the bell of your audience, one, right? So yep. if your audience is beginners, you can't start with this, you know, um, gigantic camera that costs, you know, let's say it's a, a red something or other, and it's a $50,000 camera. That's not going to work. Totally. Uh, and you also want to ride the wave of popularity. You talk about the long tail, if I could just maybe expand and define what that is like you're hoping that that's going to continue to last from 2017 to 18 19 20 here we are 2023 it's still got legs yep and you're riding that wave for as long as you can mm -hmm. yeah what Absolutely. did i miss break that no no you know this one of the ideas which i would love a viewer to steal they probably take a little bit of passion a little bit of experience but you mentioned picking an affiliate program too for example that um is lucrative enough that the math works out. So even if we're just breaking that down to the, to the long tail, like one channel that I think there are some, but that would be amazing is talking about new tropics. People talk about what alpha brain, but this is a big industry qualia mind, you know, you're in orange County. It's kind of definitely trending out there. Biohacking. Well, and, and this goes back to, they would say it would be, it's just as relevant today. The three big online niches, the best ones ever are health relationships and money. And everybody should also tie their content into those in some way. Like no matter what you do, if it can improve your health, no matter what you do, if it can help you make more money or save money, and no matter what you do, if it actually makes your relationships better, that's benefit extension. I'm kind of spinning off, but thinking about that. So nootropics and understanding that a bottle of this stuff can cost $100, $200, and the affiliate programs can pay you 30 to 50%. You're just judging the opportunity. You're like, if I educate on this, I'm obsessed with this. And these are one of the things where I... Like any entrepreneur, I have 48 business ideas and I'm like, I need to stay focused on Think Media, but the next channel I would start would be all on biohacking or whatever. Sure. But even more specifically, I just recently got into PEMF mats, pulse electromagnetic therapy, and uh, and uh, 
I, not just because of some health stuff, but also because of even just longevity and performance boosting in general. Yeah. We just did the hyper ice story. Okay. And that's sort of in that same, yeah. you know, recovery zone. Recovery zone. Yeah. So PEMF, you know, Tony Robbins kind of popularized the um, Hugo, which was a blanket on top of you and it kind of electrocutes your whole body. It mm-hmm. turns your cells from, they would say raisins into grapes, recharges your cells. He would do it every day. He speaks. That's a, the, the cheaper version of that's like 8k, the expensive version is like 25k. That's older technology. I discovered this guy, Dr. Pollock. He's the position is the number one expert on PEMF therapy. Now I've purchased outrageously expensive devices and I've been testing different ones. And of course I'm always asking in my mind, do they have an affiliate program? Sure enough, they do. And I've, I've maybe positioning to put some content out about this, but here's what is fascinating is whenever I tap into a niche, talk about long tail, this is, that would be a very niche type of product within biohacking overall, which is large enough. Um, I am shocked by the under the, by the lack of content about that one thing. It's not huge. Many listeners probably wouldn't even know they're not searching for it, but enough are. There is, there is quite a bit of interest. Tony Robbins new book, Life Force, maybe popularized it. I'm talking to my friend, Ben Azadi. There's the higher dose ones. There's the lower wave ones. There's the higher ones. You're looking for white space. Yep. And, and, and we're, it's 2023. And I'm like, that's in and of itself could, you could either have a channel devoted just to those things or I think what I recommend is you go, I know we say niche down, but you go broader on the channel, niche on the videos. So you make a channel that's maybe about biohacking. Now your first 100 videos might be on all PEMF because once people start discovering you, they're in a mindset of probably recovery, sports recovery, something to do with pain, something. And therefore, if they subscribe, they're probably not going to be upset if you're also helping them get better sleep and some other things. And you might not branch out, probably you shouldn't. But if you created a brand called, you know, health hacks, yeah. whatever, then you're, you can have niche videos with a wider category of the brand. So that's just another example of- Well, you're describing Andrew Huberman. Uh, yeah. Right? I mean, neuroscience. Yes. Talking about, specific, you know, from hormones to uh, supplements and then to uh, hacking your health, your, I mean, your sleep and then- Which is kind of proof in, when you're doing market research- those are the types of, and Tim Ferriss would teach this years ago, right? Who are who are like the other people that your ideal audience may be following as right. well? And so if Huberman now has millions of subscribers, I believe, and so you start realizing, okay, there, and of course, Rogan and biohacking, that's kind of more mainstream, but so burge, such a, you know, an industry that's growing, new things are showing up in the market. Some things ha- are mature, but they're even... So this is where it gets me excited. You got to find your, and I, that what I would not promise somebody that wants to start a YouTube channel is you can't, I feel so much tension from our audience on this. Some people say, but, but I want, you know, I want to follow my passion. Whatever happened though, to like making videos you love, as opposed to just picking something that has business viability. And I, I've learned that novice entrepreneurs kind of lean a little bit more towards just doing what they feel like and experience entrepreneurs, they lean towards viability. Technically it should be both. It yeah. should be like, what are you passionate about that? There's also viability because you, it's cool. If you want to be passionate about it, you could start a channel about whatever, but don't come, you know, email me in a year or two when it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, that goes back to the, what's it for? Yeah. So, you know, if, if your, what's it for is 
to like have a place to rant or vent or you know, listen to your voice, that totally works. It you know, mission accomplished. Yes. Right. Awesome. But like, if you need it to generate revenue or you need it to generate leads or even lead to something, then like you say, it's got to be a little deeper, more strategic thinking. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Uh, maybe coming around third, uh, headed home. What are the little things we can do? I mean, there's so much information out there. I feel like I'm a little bit, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I know what to do. Let me play, let me play, you know, the devil's advocate here. So I know what to do. I've read the YouTube playbook back and forth. Um, I know that thumbnails are important. Titles and tags are important. Maybe tags less so these days. Maybe titles more, thumbnails more. Yeah. What are the little things that make a big difference that I may, I may not be doing? The, yeah, not Brian, but you know. Yeah. The, um, a few tactics, the, the most important highest lever for success on YouTube, the most important thing for success on YouTube is the videos themselves. Right. In fact, videos are more important and views are more important than subscribers. There's a lot of highly subscribed channels that have low views. YouTube is judging video content above all else. So we could come back to that because I would like to speak to that. But as far as some like rapid fire tactics, 99% of creators are missing out on the opportunity to use their community tab. Nobody uses the community tab. We grew 1,500 new subscribers in 90 days just from posting on the community tab. Wow. People listening to this don't even know what the community tab is. This is <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like a Facebook feed yeah. and you could post polls there. You can post questions, text-based questions. You could promote your videos if you do it properly. Slide decks. You could do, yeah, like a carousel. And the cool thing about it is number one, it's clearly being sh shown to cold traffic because it led to new subscribers. It's not a place where you actually post videos. It's a place where you can promote videos. So I'd say- don't ignore the community tab. Once you also cross 10,000 subscribers, nobody's using YouTube stories. And YouTube stories can also lead to subscribers and they are a way to promote one video in your library every seven days is a video sticker you can put on there. Um, you can also promote other channels and some people want to, we use it to promote people from Think Media to, hey, we also have the Think Media podcast channel. So that YouTube stories is an underutilized uh, feature. Um, I do think now the YouTube podcast feature, YouTube said you're going to have a promotion in podcast areas or some kind of Snickers. There's three, there's three ways stickers. There's three ways YouTube themselves have said they're going to actually be promoting content classified as a podcast, which the way you do that is you essentially just put videos in a, a playlist and then assign it to be a podcast. And eventually that's going to also be distributed on YouTube music, which is a play against Spotify and Apple. Right. So that's would be another tactical thing. Um, but however, you know, what it really comes down to is I do find that a lot of people are looking for the small activities, like even a tweak in the title, which actually it's a big deal and a tweak everywhere else. But what YouTube comes down to is click through rate and average view duration. And it's going to come down to the architecture of the content itself. We teach the perfect video recipe, which is the big idea, the hook, the content, and the transition. And it starts with how good is the topic, a really good topic, are people interested in it? It's big ideas, topic, title, thumbnail, hook, how great can that first opening 30 seconds be? Hooks can be as, they could be 10 seconds, they could be a couple minutes, but YouTube themselves give you a specific uh, window inside of your analytics that says how many people are still watching at 30 seconds. 
So before you get someone to minute three, you have to get them through the first 30 seconds. So if there's any part of your video you over-optimize in terms of thinking about what is said and what is seen, it's gonna be the opening 30 seconds. Then the content, be brief, be bright, be fun and be done. How can you just make it as, as you know, as entertaining, as holding the viewer's attention? How long does my video to be? It doesn't really matter. It's how long, you know, if it's an interesting conversation and people are bought in, then they'll stick with it, but it should If it ever gets uninteresting, you should trim it out. So how can you trim the fluff and the content? And then finally, this would be another mistake I think people make is the transition. I didn't say the call to action. The ending, the best call to action you can have on YouTube is to another video. And as a marketer or business owner, many people want to send people to their website or their email list or something else. But YouTube values time on platform and they want people to stay on the platform. So the best call to action is to get someone to start watching your video and then continue to watch videos on your channel. Yes. So if you can (laughs) agitate another problem at the end of the video, if you could say, so here's the thing, we just learned about the best camera for YouTube, but if you don't have good audio, camera doesn't even matter. In fact, audio is probably more important than the camera. So click or tap the screen to check out our five best microphones in 2023 and then just end the video. And so either just ending quickly and trimming the fluff on the end or actually leading into another video. Tactically, I think having a pinned comment and also a clickable link above the fold in the description is another tactical thing not enough people are doing um, with the, emojis. With emojis. <laughs> yeah. And the pinned comment, that is your opportunity to send people to your website or send people to a brand deal or an affiliate link. But your other opportunity there is actually send people to another video. Yeah. A lot of people will go to the comment section. If you can have copy that interest, maybe they're getting bored. That's about the time they go to the comment section. They're watching, but they scroll away from the video. They're listening to the audio. They're going to read the comments. And if there's some text there that says, you know, like, if you love this, you know, or so, pointing them somewhere else, you actually might save the viewer from leaving if you could send them at least to another one of your videos. Underrated tactic for sure. I I mean, sometimes I go to the comments kind of like an Amazon review before I watch the video. Yeah. Because I want to see how people are reacting and and then I'll make a decision. Like I'll look at the title, maybe the thumbnail, I'll glance up and I'll go right to the comments like an Amazon review. And if it's it's there or if it's something pinned, then I'm likely to, to click that. That's Super underrated. I got one more for you. Time codes and chapters. And I think these would just be, we're kind of going through a list of YouTube best practices. Now, what's wild about chapters, and this is the ability to go to your description. You start with zero colon zero zero. That lets, and then you create a list. And you've seen this maybe on other YouTube videos. If you're listening to this, sometimes you hover over the video and if it's a 10 part, 10 points, it'll say tip one, tip two, tip three, or if it's a three-hour video podcast, it'll actually granularly break down the topics, which is very helpful because the argument against them would be, oh, it's going to hurt my average view duration because someone's just going to, instead of watching the whole video, they're going to skip to the part they want. The argument for them is they probably were going to bail on the video, but now they actually may stay because you are actually serving the viewer. And that's my thinking on them. And visually, it, it plots it on the on the cursor too, so you can see it on the player. Yeah, you can see it on the player, bits. and it brings up the text. There's also an expandable window that allows you to expand the chapters off to the right side. And it actually puts kind of like thumbnails next to each one, which was the clip of the video during each part. But while it doesn't seem that there is an exact direct correlation, I've seen it happen a couple times. We get around 3 million views um, a year from Google, not because I have a good website or a good blog, 
but just because YouTube is owned by Google, owned by Alphabet, and our videos rank on the first page of Google. And what you'll see is this feature called key moments. And there have been a few times where not only do I have a video ranking on the first page of Google, but the key moments are my chapters. Mm-hmm. And and this is particularly relevant for interview content, how-to content, and especially education content, which is really what we where we lean heavily to a lot of business owners, educators, coaches, course creators. But when I think about the channels, Miss Excel, I just uh, talked to her at Social Media Marketing, what she's teaching Excel. And so when you're, there's people teaching coding and all kinds of things. These types of things really lend themselves. Maybe you're talking talking about how to build a car, anything there's stages or steps to. And what's wild is someone goes to Google wanting to know one particular question that probably exists inside of a larger conversation. A 30-minute video, yeah. Exactly. So if you're optimizing, this also might be super stressful to the listener because they're like, man, it sounds like a lot of work. Yes, but what is it worth to you to make a very structured thought through video that you upload on YouTube that you optimize properly and you put in the effort for these time codes and chapters that then earns you money and grows your channel for the next five years. And when someone goes to Google wondering how to specifically take the dash off of a Honda Accord 2005 and the exact moment of the video where you show them how to do that is being recommended on Google. And then when all of a sudden a new Fast and the Furious comes out that happens to rebuild the 2500 cord and drop a V12 in it, whatever. The different things can happen where either it's slow and steady or just weird aspects of your video library yeah. leads to tons of traffic, tons of awareness. And then again, that could be one pain point that people find you for, but to the point of business model, which it could be, you know, accessory car park company wants to sponsor you or you talk about how to make money flipping parts from junkyards on eBay in a course, and that leads people into that. Like, so you have all these other ways you could be earning money in the creator economy and monetizing. And then when you have content like this optimized properly, you've you've done your due diligence to not skip the pin comment, uh, you know, description optimized, time codes, chapters, and of course good videos. Like all that, all those little tactics aren't really going to matter if you're lazy on the video side. Um, but they can, they're the difference maker. They're that extra icing on the cake that can help you capture a lot of the traffic coming your way so that it doesn't slip through the cracks and, and just uh, figure if it's a best practice, why not learn it? Why not implement it? Sort of a capstone, like final advice. Uh, and let's assume that people are stuck, yep. you know, in this analysis paralysis, you know, I think I know what I want to do, but I haven't pulled the trigger yet. Yeah. Final advice to those people. Yeah. I mean, I I heard it said that success is 20% tactics and strategy and 80% mindset. So if you're feeling stuck, you're feeling overwhelmed, you worry what other people are going to think, you're stuck in your own head. The first thing is know that you're in great company. Like that is how basically everybody feels or has felt. Um, the emotions of just self-doubt um, or overwhelmed by, by also just thinking, you know, does anybody even care? Will anybody care about my content? And you're just like, I see you, like we see you, we hear you. And anybody you look up to or respect or somebody that has started, chances are they've probably experienced those same things. And what they did was they just had to eat the frog. 
They had to just punch fear in the face, punch perfectionism in the face and start. Um, What I've learned is you cannot steer a parked car. And so if you're listening to this, what I would challenge you to do is actually grab your phone and shoot a video and upload it in the next 24 hours. The thing is that that action itself could be a pattern interrupt because maybe you've been listening to podcasts, watching training videos, maybe you're even watching web classes, or maybe you even bought online courses or stuff. But if you still haven't done anything, you got to break the pattern and you just got to do something. And I think that the opportunity there is, oh, but what if somebody sees that video? Here's the good good news. If it's your first video, there is no one there yet. (laughs) And you can always make the video private or unlisted. I highly encourage you never delete it because it's part of your story. But you know, my first video videos, like I often play my first video, but what people don't understand is like my first videos didn't make it to the internet. They're, they're the ones that are stuck back in that youth group. And so the level of practice and mistakes and being awkward or being boring or being like, I've done it all. Like I've done it all at a multiple that is far exceeds everybody. Like I literally have probably created now 3000, 4000 videos 2000 on the internet, not counting my client work. And so there's just a level of volume and repetition. Everybody, if you ever try a new sport, you suck at first as a snowboarder. I remember taking lessons and it was very painful on my tailbone, a lot of, you know, Mm -hmm. painful in my whole body. You're falling. It's hard to carve. You don't know what you're doing, but you just have to keep showing up to the mountain. If you're trying to learn uh, a new sport or you're trying to go to the gym, it sucks. You're sore at first. You feel really judged. People probably don't care, but maybe they do. But who cares what people think? You got to just keep showing up to the gym. And so I would encourage people to get in the game. And sometimes the best way to start video is actually not YouTube because YouTube is a little more intimidating than maybe just the Instagram account you already have. Post on your Instagram stories. It expires within 24 hours. Talk to the camera, put the phone up, hit the thing and be like, hey guys, uh, I don't know what to say. This is weird. And you put it out there and- that will disappear. That's really cool. And and the cool thing about YouTube is there is YouTube shorts now. So YouTube shorts could be your first couple of videos. So you do have to, it might sound like cliche advice, but you like have to start before you're ready. You have to start poop your pants scared. You have to just punch fear in the face and, and make a lot of bad videos before you get to the good ones. And if you can learn while doing, I think that the biggest mistake people make is they subscribe to behind the brand they order the books and they read them. They listen to the audiobooks and they listen to the podcast, but information comes in with no action. It's both. I also think that some people go to the extreme, like you don't need that. You just need to go take action. I just think it's both. I think that you should be studying and learning while you're also putting stuff out. And what I've learned is that when I post some videos and then I go study marketing more, I go, oh, wow, that those are the mistakes I just made in that video over there. And you now have something to evaluate. You have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 YouTube videos. And then you watch another Thick Media tutorial and you go, oh, wow. Like my openings have been dull and boring and my hooks have not been very good. But but if you can create the mindset that that believes this is huge for me and I've had I've lived by this, failure, failures are the stepping stones to success. John Maxwell said, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. So if you have a growth mindset that's just that's that that's embracing videos that suck, realizing they're all education. They're every every time it's a practice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a practice and an opportunity. And if we circle all the way back to the niche question earlier, 
This might sound daunting, but Steve Jobs said that business is a game of attrition. He goes, I just believed that if we just stayed in business, year six, year seven, year eight, your competitors are gone. Just people don't last, even if they were very successful. This, this is kind of a dark way to end, but like even the creator economy itself is a notorious place of burnout and very successful creators have been burning out. That's why we're trying to approach things different. Our theme is built to last right now. Last year is at our best. We're focusing a lot on health and a sustainable pace. All that to say is I just hope the encouraging part is that if you're listening to this, if you get in the game, stay in the game, get coaching in the game, don't leave the game. Keep learning, keep leveling up. Your breakthrough moment, It for many, like we were talking about, you're, you were sitting down with Gary Vee and Mari Smith and Lewis Howes 14 years ago. <laughs> like, and you probably, there's a lot of people 14 years ago that are gone. Yeah. And, and actually every year since then that have came and went, that maybe had a lot of funding, that maybe had six figures, seven figures of funding and people behind them, maybe they had everything going from them. John Maxwell wrote a b- book called Talent Is Not Enough. Talent, somebody might be more talented. I guarantee you, you're listening to this. There's oh, there's other people more talented me, than me on YouTube for sure. Yeah. But hustle beats talent when talent doesn't hustle. And so if you get in the game, start posting content, stay in it, keep learning, and just have that resilience, I am, I am certain of this. There is a piece of the pie for you. The pie is way bigger than you think. It's not even a fixed pie. Like the world's a lot more abundant than you think. So if you get in the game, Am I guaranteeing you'll be a YouTube millionaire? Yeah, no, probably not. But am I guaranteeing that you actually could make this a a side income, quit your job, do this full time, figure out a way to get your piece of the creator economy? The opportunity is more real than anyone even realizes. It continues to grow. The next 10 years are going to be the best 10 years on YouTube, maybe longer, but we could see that far for sure. The, The market share and the juggernaut positioning that YouTube and Google has you know, the lead time they have on the content library, the the data just came out that um, more time is spent on YouTube in the living rooms of American families than Hulu and Netflix and HBO Max and the other platforms. That's crazy. YouTube got the Sunday ticket. So the YouTube brand, it just continues to grow. And the future is very clear in the short, near and long term. So what are you waiting for? The thing is that you could get on for free, use your smartphone and scale up as you go. And uh, I think the biggest risk is doing nothing. I think it's time to punch fear in the face, punch perfectionism in the face and press record. Mm-hmm.